Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of World Designer. Our guest today is Somaya Ranjbar, the Senior Service Designer at Personio. Very happy to have you here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Really excited to see how the conversation is going to happen. So, Somaya, please tell me, what were like the two most important points in your career? Uh, there were more than two points <laughs> because I have changed my career path several times. I have a very diverse background uh, and it wasn't very straightforward towards design. So I, I have a degree in engineering, one in marketing and one in design. So I had to go through different passes. But the, the two ones that I can recall as the most important ones, first is the one before becoming a designer and one is after becoming a designer. So before becoming a designer, I had to do a thesis around brand personality. So that was the first time I did research, academic research, and the first time I got exposed to the world of psychology, social science, and I had to um, apply some of the methodologies from there. Uh, so that got me into the world of brand design and brand development. Uh, I started working as a brand strategist, that was the first, I would say, point in my life that I started doing like convergent, divergent thinking, applying design thinking methods. Um, and it was really exciting to work with different kinds of designers, like visual designers, architects, writers, artists. And I thought, okay, I need to really get a degree in design or really learn some of the skills, right? Go deeper into the design world. Um, and I thought, I don't want to be a visual designer. Um, so I just browsed different options and then I decided to join CII, the Copenhagen Institute of Interaction Design. So that was the second, I would say, the second season of episode of my career where I started learning um, some design crafts, being exposed to different design disciplines. Then I started a project named Oshana, which was a social integra integration kind of uh, problem I was trying to tackle with that project and I think from that like till now I'm trying to really navigate human-centered design in complex I would say system systems and complex areas awesome and what's human-centered design <laughs> it's a very complex question so human-centered design for me is not a very different from the definition of design, right? When we say human-centered, it means that the focus is on human. But overall, it has the same meaning for me as design has. So design can be also like wider than human. So it can be about nature. It can be like completely about abstract things or things that are not even related to human. Uh, so human-centered design is the human-focused version of it for me. But if you want, I can explain what I think design is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I really love this discussion. And I, I was sure that you're going to ask it. Because <laughs> yeah, everybody has a bit different definition of design. Yeah? Like, that's the funny thing with designers. Because everybody is a, de yeah, every designer yeah. works in this space. But everybody has a different view on it. And it's incredible that there are so many different yes. opinions. Uh, so I think to explain what exactly design is, for sure, is, is not that easy. But I can refer to people who are into 
more into the theories of design. So I, for example, I don't know if you have heard about Case Doors, who is the author of Framing Innovation. Um, so he's a professor in design innovation and like, of course, like an expert in design theories. I really love his definition of what design is. I think somewhere in his book, he mentions like industrial design, like has changed into more industry led design instead of like industrial design who is focusing on designing product, for example. And I think as broad as the non and verb of design is, um, he also mentions that designing in general is something that includes like actions and thoughts around solving problems and also looking at the future. I really like this, this uh, way of him explaining design because it's very broad. And when we often talk about design, we have designers in mind, right? Okay, so we are talking about designers and what designers do, but actually design is just much more than what designers do. So it can be something that even a non-designer engineer does, or like, like it's, that's the definition I love about design. And can you tell us a bit more about Ashena? Yes, Ashena um, was a project focused on refugees and entrepreneur refugees, meaning that refugees who had some entrepreneurship skills or before immigration, they had their own businesses or they wanted to open their own business. So uh, I realized that in Europe, specifically in Denmark, this kind of integration based on like skills, career and entrepreneurship is a huge problem for refugees. And honestly, not only refugees, but like foreigners, like small businesses, like who are not like um, citizens of Denmark, it was a huge problem there. Then I thought, okay, how can we create a platform or a kind of marketplace that brings refugee entrepreneurs closer to the local communities? And how can they like leverage uh, the skills those people have? How can they like enable each other to grow instead of relying like purely on governmental and I would say regulate regulators of the country, right? Also like com companies or like NGOs like UN, for example. So that was a platform uh, showcasing the story of these refugees and their journeys and their skills. And by using uh, machine learning, we were trying to somehow reinvent resume, resumes uh, to more like a storytelling output instead of like very logical way of showing resumes. I mean, LinkedIn, for example, but how we can make it more interesting that shows the character and real capabilities of refugees instead of like, okay, I have a degree in something or I have a certificate in a craft. That's a very nice approach because most of the time, yeah, people just see the, yeah, I've worked at this company and that company, and we don't see the story behind it. But yeah, there is exactly. so much to it. Yeah, and exactly. it, when someone's from a different background, like people don't always understand what they've done. But by storytelling, the situation changes completely. And was that your favorite project? Uh, it was one of the one? most, I would say, rewarding projects I have done. Um, I really loved working on Ashana. It was like quite a journey for me. I got exposed to things that I had never experienced. I mean, for example, working with some NGOs, getting closer to the 
target user that like I was volunteering in a refugee camp for a while. So I was really trying to have a deep understanding of their situation and their challenges. Do you have a favorite sector to work with? Because as you said, you like working with people. So I can imagine that you're going into that NGO way or social impact driven companies. That can be something. Yeah. Yes, I think I love working in like social good kind of area, but I also love tech. So I can't imagine myself working in a sector that doesn't have tech or tech is not the main part of it. And these two are not necessarily separated like tech and like social impact driven companies. I think they are, they can be the same. It would be ideal if they are the same. But yeah, I think I would say tech and like those kind of social good aimed and projects. What are the biggest like differences companies. between tech and those social impact driven companies? Uh, I don't think, as I said, they are not necessarily two different things, right? Tech meaning like tech is the main focus of the company and the main product or service they are uh, delivering. And social good or social impact, it can be a value or the main value a company is trying to achieve. For example, some of these mental health apps, uh, they are aiming at creating, I would say, like, mental health awareness or helping individuals uh, getting healthier mentally. So that is like social good aim, right? But it can be tech, it can be completely like a conventional uh, non-tech company. So what do you think are the biggest challenges for designers when working with those social impact driven companies? Um, I mean, it depends, I think. So I, I have worked with those companies and I have been trying to like kind of build a project around it. But uh, for sure, they are very different from each other. So I cannot give you like, like one formula how to work better with those companies. But if you're talking, I can talk about the difference between, for example, when they are non-for-profits and when they are profit-oriented. Uh, and I also can talk about the tech world and like challenges in the tech world. I mean, for non-for-profit, for me personally, it was completely a different culture and work, right? So because um, I think the way they find investors, they find like, I don't know, general capitals uh, and everything is very different from like a commercial driven company. And uh, especially for designers, it can be a new area, how to like, really have a sustainable i would say uh, process of like creating something and then uh, being ready to completely dispose the project because we are losing funds or just people are not investing in that project anymore um, while i would say in commercial world it's very different with tech companies i would say the main challenge is having your voice, having your voice in the tech world, because yeah, our crafts are very different. Though we try to understand things from an engineer's point of view, sometimes we're lacking uh, knowledge. So it's very hard to like have a voice in the tech world. We started just talking about not-for-profits and yeah, the differences there. And because... Yeah, 
sometimes the problem with not for profits is that yeah, the project starts, but at one point they just don't have the money to keep it going. Even though they can really change the world, they can really have an impact. But it, not everybody believes in the project. Yeah. And it's kind of sad. Because you can see, like, really, it makes a difference. But do you think there is a way to engage more people into funding such projects? Of course, there are many ways. As I said, I have some experience, but I'm sure there are other solutions and people with like deeper experience working in non-for-profit. But I would say in general, as a designer, I have learned through these years that impact is not necessarily saving the world, right? It, it's not just necessarily creating something amazing, which will solve like a, a huge social problem, right? Impact can come in different ways. And as designers in our daily works, we are not often facing those big issues. So we are solving a smaller chunks of a big, bigger problem. And I think it's by itself is very rewarding when we try to have impacts on these small things, even like when we try to change the ways of working, when we bring that human aspects to what engineers, for example, are doing. So all these things are also impact. So um, I think my mindset has changed from, okay, let's make something that will save the world, will save like refugees forever, which I call them wicked problems, right? Some of these are really wicked problems. So there is not one solution for them. But yeah, for sure, my my mindset about impact has changed through these yeah, years. Like those small things often make the biggest difference in the long run. For sure. And if you had a billion dollars to work on any problem in the world, to solve any problem in the world, what would you work on? That's a lot of money. <laughs> so I, I would say, because I'm passionate about inclusion, specifically and inclusion in tech because I think we have a huge gap and this is something that we need to work a lot on that would be the area I would like put my efforts and money in mm, but I think it, it should start with a kind of education and when I say inclusion in tech it just sounds like a very uh, big word right but for example the simplest pieces of like technology that we are using I'm not sure like even those are inclusive for all the people. For example, um, there is a researcher that I'm really interested in her thoughts, Tricia Wang. So I, I was listening one of her like TED talks and it was about how in China people use smartphones, which is like very different from the way, for example, people made mistakes use like. Um, so I think these all the things that shows that like in general, the majority of things that are being built in the tech world are not considering the big part of the world, right? It's just for a specific group of people. So, um, so I would I would put my energy there. So maybe educating people in tech about what inclusion means and um, how can we start projects around that and how we can make sure from like things that we build are inclusive for everyone. I think Ashina was an example. That's a very interesting point because I didn't realize that people in the US and people in China are using their smartphones in a different way. Like, I mean, yeah, not, not I know, 100% but... different, but there are yeah. aspects. Yes, of course. I, I would really recommend 
like her TED talk. If you could share it later, and her conversation that would be awesome. And we will link it in the yes, description because sure. yeah, it sounds really interesting, and I think yeah, more people should learn about it. Yeah, to be honest, from my experience, because I work on the on the project, the humanitarian one, and I I I would I I cannot agree with you, Felix, that the people on the second um, part of the group use the same uh, in the same way devices as we do. Um, it's more about the habits, more about trust to technology. And what I have learned, um, an example, working with, um, with, with people in Zambia, they don't trust a lot to the third party apps. Um, they don't, they have a modern, te- um, mobile phones in, in the hands. Um, but they use it in more classic way just to make a call or, or send the text. So that's, that's the difference. So I think that. This is the challenge for the designers, um, how to convince people to use yes. new tech, how to engage them into the uh, new technologies. Um, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, what are you thinking about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It's just all about the different cultural and social context of these like different parts of the world and those are not considered when designing these different uh, I would say devices technologies um, and the, actually they are the majority of the world in terms of like the population right uh, and uh, I would say for designers it's just a huge challenge um, it, it is also connected a lot to behavioral change I would say because sometimes we need to make some changes in groups of customers and users. Um, I can bring the example of, for example, what I'm doing now. Like, Personio is a HR system. So we have lots of like, regulations, laws. Um, and I would say like, it's very interesting to navigate how we can change things that are not laws and regulations. So how can we just change some of the behaviors, so people's works will be more more efficient, better, less less frustrating, and I would say that's something that I call inclusion. So inclusion doesn't necessarily mean like okay, we are bringing people from uh, somewhere under war to what, for example, uh, what you're designing as a device, right? It can have so many different aspects, but it's a very interesting topic for sure. Um. So I have a question about, um, it is related with the Ashana as a, as a social enterprise in, in initiative, right? Um, yes. What was, um, what did you learn um, working on this project? What was unique from your perspective? Because this is not um, another commercial project um, which is going to be used by the companies. It's not a um business to business project right it is yes. um addressed to the to the refugees which are coming from around the globe right into the dynamark um so can you can you say more about that i think yes um there were so many surprises for me personally because my imagination of the process was very different from what happened i think at some point i felt that i'm not giving any solution myself it's the community that is bringing like their own thoughts and ideas so i was it was the real (laughs) meaning of co-creation because uh for example i had a workshop inviting some of these like potential refugee entrepreneurs with like real entrepreneurs from denmark and it was very interesting to see 
how they communicated with each other and how they brought up some interesting ideas for collaboration and getting closer to each other or how can they benefit from each other. So in a way I was feeling that I'm more like a facilitator and like someone who is just really helping these connections happen, but I'm not really the mastermind of how these connections should happen, right? I think that was really, I would say, surprising. I think the other one was somehow separating myself as an individual and my own emotions and feelings and like when I was with refugees specifically from what is good for them or what I think can help them. Um, I think that was a challenge. So yes, that was also like very different from my first impression of the project. So can I say that um, Ashana was a, a side effect of this whole project? What do you mean? So it's like, um, because um, listening to you, is um, the project, it sounds like the project to you, it was more about having an interaction, facilitating, facilitating um, interaction between the people um, and it result with the project, right? With the, with the platform. Yes. Um, so it was more about, you know, finding the, the, the um, common language, right? For this, all these entrepreneurs, right? And, yes. and the platform, it sounds to me like a, just the, the side effect, right? The, the, the result, not like a, the main goal which you, you know, uh, was going to, right? More like, so I can understand it this way. So the project was not one solution of this problem area, for sure. I mean, I constantly think about other things, right? Um, at, at some point, I was also so passionate about the small businesses, uh-huh. and immig- immigrant businesses and how they like find their ways in foreign countries. So yes, of course, it's about expression. It's about being able to like stand up even though your past and your past experience is not, is not supportive of what you're doing, right? And I think immigrants in general are very good <laughs> candidate groups of this kind of feeling. So yes, I agree with that. So Ashana was not the ultimate solution. It was a wicked problem, right? So for mm-hmm. wicked problems, you don't have one, one thing at the end. Mm-hmm. And um, um, how were you feeling when when you finally released the platform to the people? It hasn't been con- um, completely released. So we had different phases with the project. So it was initially aimed uh, at like Denmark and like doing it in Denmark, but then we changed because some of the like very fun, I would say, fundamental laws for refugees in Denmark changed. Uh, for example, a big group of refugees were somehow sent back to Syria and they weren't supposed to stay in Denmark anymore. So I tried to expand it to more like Europe than Denmark. Um, and I started some conversations with UNHCR, a European Commission, and trying to really navigate it in a broader scope right uh, so the project hasn't been released like a like a company or a product yet mm-hmm. but with with refugees specifically um, I think the feedbacks I collected and also with those companies I think in general um, the main thing is how can we really bring those I would say skills and that presentation of entrepreneur refugees in 
the labor laws and in general like regulations in Europe specifically. For example, the European Commission is doing a project around it. So they are helping refugees to make the like standard resumes that can be used in, for example, Europe. So I think the main blocker and the main challenge is how we can like in a I would say practical way, in a way that these like kind of communities of refugees can be really, for example, hired, start a business, like legally, they can get loans because some of all of these are just very much affected by regulations, right? Um, so th that was the part that I was mostly struggling with. And I think um, if this project is going to be continued and is going to become a thing, that's the obstacle it should conquer. So make it real in a way that is not only exposing refugees, but also finding solutions that can be practical in their context. You are facing, um, I mean, everyone around the globe, um, at some point facing that um, political limitations, right? What do you mean? Yeah, like uh, legal aspects of, of um, you know, um, allowing people to um, to work in some countries or, you know, deliver value. Yeah, policies. I mean, would, in general, even like with the remote work, we have so many limitations in terms of tax. So I think the world is not prepared to be flexible. To be open. Yes, to be open. <laughs> yeah. So this, this sounds very sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. This slows down a bit, you know, that uh, how we all grown, right? Like it's a global economy. Like everything is global, but when you try to do something, it's not. <laughs> like that's, yeah, that's, that's so thing. true. And somewhere I would like to ask you about the relation between software developers and designers. Because as you said, you like tech. So you've had to work with developers. What would you say? What are the things to keep in mind to yeah, do our best work together? Uh, I would say they are different things. For sure, I would say the first step to work with engineers, I mean, if you're talking about softwares like backend and front-end engineers, is really helping them feel the tangible side of what they are doing and bringing the human aspect, the human stories to what they are doing. Uh, the other thing is like really working together as a team. So from, from a designer's point of view, we can understand the affordability of what we are building. And from their perspective, like inspiration and going a little bit further uh, and putting an effort on things that are not like really common in what they are doing. I think we can be I mean, inspirational for, for each other. Um, I think I have mainly worked with uh, backend engineers because what I do as service designer is like processes and like the whole experience or the whole picture. And that somehow affects the architecture sometimes and they think they work on from a backend, uh, I would say perspective. So, um, I would say like, I try my best bringing those human stories or user stories into their work. I try to, for example, do a lot of uh, task flow mapping, different kind of mappings with engineers. And it's really interesting how they bring their own ideas into this process. 
So it's like a teamwork that we should like both work or both, I would say, mindset, mindsets working together. And on the other hand, I think it's also on us as designers to understand their disciplines. It doesn't mean that I need to get a degree in engineering, though I have a degree in engineering, but for those who don't, it's just like really understanding their language, really, and um, understanding some of these things. And when I, when I say like affordability, what does that exactly mean uh, for, for example, specific work we are working on? So we should be more equipped as designers with some of these mindsets, skills, and knowledge. And on the other hand, what can developers do to make your work easier? I mean, um, being open, <laughs> not being scared to do hard coding sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's not very obvious for everyone, right? <laughs> for every developers, that's true. And I mean, like enjoying. In, I mean, um, enjoying the process and being open to fail and make mistakes. I have another question um, because I've read article about the meta, right? The new technology which is coming, and every everything is uh, every everything um, goes goes into that um, online world, right? How do you see service designer in next couple of years? Because it looks like uh, you know that human um, interactions um, is a bit, you know, going to the side, right? Uh, Microsoft, they they they, I, they did introduce um, that new um, online meeting rooms, right? Where they're not going to be real faces, um, just the emojis, right, and um, pictures of us. How do you see future of the service designer? Where is it most? I think for service design, it is already evolving, right? Because I think traditionally service designers were working in companies which had, like, they weren't necessarily digital companies. Or if they were, it was a mix of digital and physical, like, um, it, it is already evolving. For example, at Personio, it's a software company. So we, we do think about those physical touch points and in-person touch points. But at the end of the day, we are like thinking of software. So it's by itself is like a digital environment. So I think service design will eventually be maybe the ambassador of the human aspect of what like virtual environments and like these digital um, softwares will bring, right? So I would say if we are going to be 100% virtual for everything, right? Okay. Then I mean, a service designer should think about different human aspects of it. What are like, what does feel being human in that environment and how we can like design the whole experience from beginning till the end, considering our very basic and I would say fundamental human needs and um, yeah, it would be amazing for service designers to work on that project. Um, so can I ask you one more question? Sure. <laughs> because I'm a very tech person um, and I, it is quite difficult for me to imagine an example. I, I know how you work now, right? How the research um, looks like, right? Um, when everything, be everything become visual, how your work going to look like how the research um going to look like it's a it's a completely new it's, it's going to be 
in my head, in my imagination, it's going to be a di totally different approach um, than you have now. I I'm sure that there will be our new tools, right, which um, simplify this design um, work. But how you imagine this, you know, interaction, designing the product, designing the service, um, and having the how you imagine how you're going to interact with people, right, at the design stage. So if I understood it correctly, um, so you, you mean the invisible side of research, which yes, is... Yes, correct. So, I mean, if you're talking about user research, it's changing a lot already, right? So we have tools that makes it easier for product designers to use and quickly test their ideas and their work. Um, and on the other hand, with service design, I think it's service is design aiming at making some of those invisible things visible through some concepts and ideas. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, it will, a big part of what we do will be still invisible, right? So we are somehow affecting things like behavior. These things can be represented by visual uh, things, but they are fundamentally invisible things, right? So I would say they will stay invisible, but maybe uh, the scope will be different, the approach will be different. For example, for research, I would say like now many, many companies are thinking of somehow having researchers more like strategic researchers or researchers who focus on bigger, bigger uh -huh. questions. And then with those tools that makes it everything easier for designers so they can use those tools for quick research usability. But um, the main questions around the product or the customer group would stay with the researchers. So they would be the ambassadors of those uh, knowledge areas. So I will kind of follow up on that. How can designers fully utilize research? Um, I think if there is a researcher in the team, they should really work with that researcher close, as close as possible. And then if they can and they can afford, they can do research themselves. I mean, just going out, talking with users, talking with customers, just having an understanding of like the target group, it's just by itself is valuable. So if they have researchers, it's just a luxury, right? They should benefit from working with researchers and staying curious uh, in the problem area they are focused on. Awesome. And what would you say, what are the traits that make a good designer? Please don't say curiosity. I mean, they should be curious. I mean, designers should be curious, but they should be resilient and open um, because things change all the time. Our ideas are being rejected every day. And I think we should change our perspective from, okay, I'm going to design an amazing thing at the end. We should change it to like, this is a process, rounds of iteration, and it can change all the time. So we should stay open and curious to what others think and like constantly evolve and change. So I would say resilience for sure is one of the main aspects of a designer, like just to survive <laughs> and be better at it's their work. It's about iterating, right? Like 
the first design won't be perfect. Yes, <laughs> like... No, 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 no. I mean, we, we, we used to joke back in the design school that all designers, at least once in their life, they have like built a box, right? We had a solution that was the shape of a box, right? Um, and we talk about like these magic boxes because for example, I'm, I have a study of interaction design. So those boxes had like some technology aspects in them and they could just react to certain things. So we call them these magic boxes, right? Um, but I mean, the reality of design is not those magic boxes, right? It can have like, it can have boxes, <laughs> and definitely magic boxes, but we often solve one tiny, beat up like a big system or a big issue or a big problem and then we iterate like constantly on that so it can be anything and you should be open to that also open to learning new skills and what tip would you give to someone who's at the start of their design career besides being open and resilient um Uh, so if they are, for example, just looking for, for example, a job or a company to work with, I would say it's very, the first important thing is finding your right people. Because in the beginning of your journey, you need mentors or people who are passionate about teaching you. Or um, I would say that's really important. But in general, I would say to like a new designer or someone who just kicking a start their career i think the goal should be we just want to go to the places that we are not welcomed right because the mindset like the majority of mindset about designers like oh they don't do serious stuff right so we should find those places that we are not welcome to go go there and be a part of what they are doing and express ourselves for example in a tech company going to a product planning or product strategy meeting and bringing our perspective right and i think this is like like a thing that can get better and better when we mature in our disciplines but i think forever we should be always conscious that like we are not invited in some space because of this mindset right so we should really push to get wow. there like th that's a very nice piece of advice okay. Honestly, like, I, hope so. I think I mean... it's like the one advice that people should really listen to at the start of their career. Yeah, and we are not, we are like not invited to just many places. So, yeah, um, I have one more tough question um, because you are social designer. You work with the with the different um, people. Um, and given the speed of the technological development, right, do you have um, the impression that the gap between developing and the developed countries will increase? Uh, you mean in the whole world? It's like yeah, a... yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would like to understand. This is a very, this is a very dystopian. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> it's is, a very it dystopian. Is. Um, very difficult because I'm, I'm. I would like to hear your opinion about that because on, on the project, on the loop project, which we work humanitarian one, uh, we are challenging with that kind of um, problems. Um, you know, at, at our daily basis work, right? Um, and 
designing product which like i said going to be um useful for people um uh, they're gonna trust it and they're gonna know how to use it it's not as obvious as it is for for us right who uh i mean let's say european people right An example so what, what mm -hmm. do you think about that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is a possibility that this gap gets bigger and bigger if we are thinking of that dystopian yeah. <laughs> result or like future. Uh, so if we are less, less aware of this inclusion and like understanding um, the whole world's uh, issues and needs and focus on like serving a minority or a small part of the for sure, because they will lose. I mean, the gap in knowledge will also get bigger and bigger, right? Uh -huh. But I don't think like I don't have the the expertise on this, so I cannot say for sure that will be the future, or the future will be more like a utopian instead of dystopian. But I mean, um, but if we we are not careful about that part, I think yes, for sure there will be an even bigger gap. Thank you. And do you have idea how we as uh, designers, developers can work on it and this decrease this gap? Um, <laughs> in our daily work, in our daily work, I think, so when, for example, talk about, so there are so many things in it, right? For example, there are things that we can be more considerate about when bringing solutions in tech. Um, and also when we are trying to discover a problem area, making sure that we are including, when we talk about the, a specific group of users, are we also like including some minorities there or people with a different, I don't know, background. So this is daily work. From like the big picture, how as designers we can like have some kind of impact or influence on how things are moving that way, I think is basically bringing some radical ideas and trying to really find um, some of those like solutions that I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is a very interesting topic, but I mean, I don't know those solutions, but for sure, like even bringing this awareness that, okay, so whatever we are building is not inclusive or it's just some people on the other side of the world won't understand it or won't be using it. Um, so starting from knowledge, like awareness and education and then bringing solutions. But this is also another wicked problem. <laughs> yeah. So more or less we should start um, with educating um, other people, right? Yeah, this, exactly. is our, this is our mission. Yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. <laughs> Please tell us where can people find you and how can they connect with you? I mean, I I regularly check my LinkedIn. So if they just uh, find me on like my my name and surname, um, so they can just connect on LinkedIn with me. Um, I'm not not really that active on social media. <laughs> But I regularly check my LinkedIn and I think my email address is there as well. So they can contact me by email as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for today. Right. And till next time. Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. And I think what you guys are doing is really valuable. Uh, happy to hear that. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at elitecrew.io. We'll be happy to help.